If you're listening on the podcast, I'm sorry. This is purely visual. If you're watching in other parts of the world, I'm sorry. This is purely for Malaysia. I can't get the damn package open. I I swear to God, the way they wrap stuff in this country, you need an acetylene torch to get it open. See that? That's a super ring. Oh my god. Ugh. Oh. These are awful. It tastes like fake cheese flavored cardboard. Blech. Anyway. <laughs> you like my shirt too? Check it out. Malaysia. Merdeka. Very cool. And uh, next Wednesday, I believe, is uh, Merdeka, our uh, uh, Independence Day, for lack of a better word. All right. Uh, On tonight's show, not really time to celebrate. Who gets on the lift first? Paul Conant's like the stream. Hey, Paul, good to have you along. Uh, Who gets on the lift first and why? And science and creation. Maybe they can get along. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Hello there. You know what? Come up and get these things because they're awful and they're going to fall over. They really are gross. Come get these. Ugh. Ugh. Anyway, yeah. Uh, So that's on tonight's show. Uh, However, before we do that, uh, we're going to get you updated on our favorite little girl. There's a sound. Update. <laughs> there it is. Oh, it happens all the time. All the time, I tell you. Anyway, Amiko update. Uh, she's doing good. She's doing very good. Uh, as a matter of fact, she was uh, being a little fussy on her food today. She just absolutely refused to eat. I don't know why. Here's a close-up shot of her going, Blech, I don't want the food. Take it away. Anyway, she's trying, and we'll see what happens. I have a feeling her um, time of the month is coming up, and so her hormones are kicking in, and she's going a little crazy, and so she's off her food, sort of, and she's a bit temperamental. But anyway, there is our favorite little girl. And uh, perhaps the best news of all is that we have a new sponsor on our show. And indeed, it is BarkBox. You will find the link in our show notes tonight. Now, my apologies if you are in uh, Malaysia. (laughs) Uh, This message mostly goes out to the folks in the U.S., which is where BarkBox is located. But uh, BarkBox is really a fantastic uh, thing for your dog. Uh, There is also one for your cats, but this is for your dogs because, hey, Miko, right? Miko is a big fan of BarkBox, and BarkBox is such a cool thing. You give your dog exactly what they want. It's totally customizable. It's themed toys and treats for your pup. You get them every month. You sign up with us for a subscription. And uh, if you pick that link in our show, we will get the, uh, you know, we'll get credit for 
the fact that you clicked on the link. So we encourage you to do that. Um, anyway, every month they have a, a theme and uh, you can sign up for a single time uh, bark box or a six month or a 12 month subscription. And of course, the longer you sign up for, the cheaper every month it will be. They, I'm sorry, they do not deliver internationally yet. They tell me they're working on it. And as soon as they do, I will let you know. But for right now, for our viewers and listeners in the U.S., please do check in our, subscri- our uh, description down below for the link. It's the top one in the show notes uh, for uh, the link to BarkBox. Go check them out and uh, find out more about it. They have the most adorable toys, very healthy, all natural treats that you, that you get every month. And 100% guaranteed, they have an amazing customer service department over there. If you don't like something, they will replace it, no questions asked. They really, really are an amazing group of people. National Dog Day is coming up. There's an offer there for a free gift. But look at these toys. They are absolutely incredible. They are so cute. And uh, they've got all kinds of... <laughs> yeah. Here's the uh, here's the here's the customer service folks, assistant manager Frank, and squeaker in chief Floyd. Uh, there you go. Over six million dogs have been served. There's just a few samples of some of the toys that uh, that you get, and new ones every month, and new treats. It's very cool. And uh, again, it's BarkBox.com. Click on the link in our show notes tonight, and uh, we encourage you to check them out and uh, go over there and find out more about it our brand new sponsor. Thank you. We'll run that right after the uh, Miko update for you. Alrighty, we've got lots going on in Malaysia and across the world, really. But the big news here uh, that happened just in the last 24 hours that everyone has been talking about is the fact that our former prime minister is going to prison. Um, I, I... Pick this article from the BBC mainly because for those who are not in Malaysia, and I've got a big audience outside of Malaysia, um, it, it does a good job of explaining uh, some of the details that for Malaysians are obvious and, and you already know. Uh, Malaysia's former Prime Minister Najib Razak has been sent to jail to begin serving a 12-year sentence after top the top court rejected his appeal. Uh, 69 years old, the charges relate to a corruption scandal involving state-owned wealth fund One Malaysia Development Berhad. He was convicted in July of 2020, over two years ago. Uh, had been out on bail during the appeal. Uh, the court also denied Najib's request to delay his sentence. He's continued to deny any wrongdoing. Uh, in 2020, a court found him guilty on seven counts, centered on a total of 42 million ringgit, which is about uh, 8 million pounds. Wow. Transferred from SRC International, a former unit of 1MDB, into his private accounts. He was sentenced to 12 years jail and a fine of 210 million ringgit. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, they've been going back and forth. The uh, court, high court, just finally said, nope, enough. Uh, off you go. Um, However, I saw this article and yesterday there was all kinds of celebrations going on. People were cheering and, 
yay rah rah and you know all into the fact that uh, Najib finally got sent to prison um, and there are more to come maybe uh, but Rafizi Romli now look I don't get involved in politics in Malaysia I'm not actually allowed to get involved in politics in Malaysia, so I keep my nose fairly clean about things like that. I'm just reporting the facts. But whatever your politics are, however you feel about Rafizi Romli, he's a former lawmaker and among the first few opposition leaders to shed light on the 1MDB scandal. Um, He said something last night after the Uh, sentencing and sending of uh, former Prime Minister Razak to prison. Um, He reminded the public that this incarceration should serve not as a celebration, but as a tragic lesson and not be a celebration victory. Uh, To the PKR deputy president, the multi-billion ringgit fiasco has done irreparable damage, both economically and socially as funds that were lost to the crime would not be recouped, he suggested while the issue has polarized Malaysians even more. How true that is. Uh, A quote here from him, When I was campaigning in the run-up to the 14th general election, I often joked I would drive my truck to fetch Najib to prison because of his SRC 1MDB actions that led to taxpayers racking up debt of 500 billion ringgit. He wrote on his Facebook page uh, last night, again, continuing his quote here, but today's event is no victory for anyone. Instead, it is a tragedy for Malaysia and its people. Money that was lost will never return. The scandals divided the people and the country, and too many individuals had endured hardship to ensure that truth would be upheld. His sober reminder came shortly after thousands of people celebrated on social media, the federal court ruling the upheld the conviction and jailing um, for misappropriating 42 million ringgit. Anyway, well put, well said. Um, And uh, I wanted to share that with you because yes, while you're all out there celebrating tonight, don't forget that, uh, yeah, There's another side to this rather sad story. All right. Uh, What else we got going on here tonight? Lots and lots of stuff, actually. You ever call for the lift, and then the lift gets there, and it's full, and nobody's getting out? Or you see the lift door, the elevator doors, for our American listeners, the elevator doors open, And there's like two people in there with a stroller. And there's no room for you because, you know, the stroller, mom, dad, couple of extra kids who are mobile. This has come up and I, you know, I think I'm going to have to side with the moms and dads on this. I really do. This article from uh, the Rakyat Post, uh, it applies to Malaysia, but it really applies anywhere around the world. Should parents with children in strollers use the lift? Some Malaysians don't think so. A parent's lament online regarding the long waiting line for the lift to arrive drew mixed responses. 
You'll see even here, and we have these signs, I'm sure you have them in your country. Please give priority to families with kids and prams. Prams, if you're in America, is basically a stroller. Um, Senior citizens and the disabled. Um, Parenting and raising a kid is hard, but some people think parents deserve to suffer even more because they choose to start a family, which is a bit stupid, but then again, there's a lot of stupid people. To be honest, that is rather some messed up realization, rationalization. You're exactly right. Uh, recently, a parent said they waited a long time to use the lift at KLCC. Uh, Amin Azazul was waiting for the lift with his baby and his wife, who is five months pregnant. And even when the lift stops at the floor, it was full of young people who wouldn't give way. In the end, they decided to fold up the stroller, take the baby out first, of course, and just use the escalator, which is really pretty sad. Well, a few netizens empathized with Amin, shared their experiences as parents in shopping malls. A netizen, Yana, said she once held the lift door open and asked everyone healthy to get out so her mother in a wheelchair could get in. Good on you, Yana. Oh, a mother and a baby in a stroller. Another fellow parent, Noriani, experienced a similar issue at another mall and was upset at some people's lack of common sense. Or, you know, just generally common courtesy. How the hell did your parents raise you? The lift door's open, you're inside, you're a young strapping person who can perfectly well climb stairs, let alone use an escalator, a travelator. And you just sit there with that dumbass look on your face while you look out and see either an elderly person in a wheelchair or a mom with a kid in a stroller who's trying to use the lift and you won't move. Your parents should be ashamed of you. You should be ashamed of you. Some netizens pointed out the signs outside the lift remind the public to give way. Believe it or not, some netizens criticized the parents for going out to a shopping mall. What? They said no one forced the parents to go out of their homes and they should accept being tied. Are you kidding me with this crap? Sing up. For Dows Offman, you're a loser. Single people also get tired. Parents aren't the only ones. Loser. Critics also gave advice like telling parents to use another lift, asking others in the lift to leave each time, and using a baby carrier. These people exist? Are you kidding me with this crap? Loser. Big time. Unbelievable that we even have to do this story. If you are young and you are healthy, even if you're not young, if you're healthy and you can use the stairs or you can use a travelator, get off the damn lift when there's someone in a wheelchair or a mom and dad with a baby in a stroller trying to get on. You're just the lowest of scum. Sorry, but you are. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right. What else we got? That's enough about that. Just pissed me off. Okay. Creation. You believe in creation or science? Are the two separate? Never can be joined? Well, maybe not. 
There's a link in our show notes tonight to a really cool article. You need to check it out. I'm not going to do the whole thing because it's quite long. It's a bit complicated, but it's rather cool. Um, Messages of hope for science and creationists. It's a really cool article. It's from BigThink.com. And um, no snark, no sarcasm, no judgment. Just genuine, honest answers to 22 creationist messages. In science, it often happens that scientists say, you know, that's a really good argument. My position is mistaken. And then they would actually change their minds. And you'd never hear that old view from them again, because that's how science works. They really do it doesn't happen as often as it should, because scientists are human and change is sometimes painful. But it happens every day. I cannot recall the last time something like that happened in politics or in religion. That is from Carl Sagan. Yesterday, two and a half hour debate took place on the topic of evolution and creationism. And earlier today, the writer saw this BuzzFeed post being shared left and right everywhere, uh, which appeared to make fun of creationists by showcasing the ridiculous and condescending 22 messages or questions they had for people who believed in evolution. So the thing is, if all you do is mock the people who disagree with you, you missed your chance to honestly engage with them. Learn about where they come from. Learn about why they feel the way they do. And just maybe teach them something they might not have known before. So, there's a list of all 22 of these. Again, I'm I'm just going to do one or two. And it's brilliant. You, you, whatever side of the aisle you're on, I believe that a creator, whatever your God is, whoever you believe in, your you know, imaginary friend in the sky, whoever you believe created everything we see in front of us, or if you believe in the science of evolution. Are you influencing the mind of children in a positive way? Is something the creationists asked. Well, it's very tempting to demonize anyone who doesn't share the same perspective and beliefs as you. I myself have been chastised by Christians for not being Christian, by atheists for not being atheist enough, by Jews for not being Jewish enough, by the cool kids for being too nerdy, and by the outcast for being too mainstream, and by people of all, uh, virtually all political leanings for not having identical political leanings to theirs. So when you ask me, I've always been of a mindset that no matter what anyone else claims, you can always ask the very powerful question, how do you know? And if you can pose a question that can be answered by looking to the universe and asking it questions about itself, you can not only learn what we know, but also how we know it. To empower someone like that, to teach them how to seek answers to whatever questions they may have. I can't think of a single way in which that is a negative influence on kids, teaching them to ask those questions. 
this list goes on and on. Like I said, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but um, are you scared of a divine creator is one of the questions. Uh, is it completely illogical? The earth was created mature that it did not evolve. Um, does the, not the second law of thermodynamics disprove evolution? These, these are really cool and they're written in plain English. So it's not sciencey, sciencey, hard to understand stuff, but, um, this is a great one. How do you explain a sunset if there is no God? You'll find the answer to that one very fascinating. So check it out. The link's in our show notes. It's from bigthink.com, and it's uh, Messages of Hope and Science for Creationists. Very, very, very cool article. All right. Uh, we got one more to go here tonight before we move on to our book and uh, that is our usual good news story. And this is from World of Buzz. The link is in our show notes if you want to check it out and share it around. Because it, it really is. It's a great story. It is from here in Malaysia. But that doesn't matter. It applies to wherever you may be. Um, Johor student. Johor is a state here in Malaysia. Johor student helps feed fellow special education classmate due to her short-sightedness. And there is a picture of this amazing little girl and these two best friends. They're so kind to each other, and they are loving and caring kids. Uh, children can sometimes be messy, naughty, but underneath it all, they may be very well be the best of us. An example of this, two students from the SMK Taman Bukit Indah Johor uh, who were caught on camera in a very sweet moment by a special education teacher. The teacher took to her TikTok account to showcase how one student was feeding the other some food during her break time. The teacher wrote, Hope this video makes you happy. They're so kind to each other. They're also caring and loving kids. The video uh, happened during the PPKI rest time. Um, one of the girls was feeding the other some food and, uh, it turns out because of Hanisa's condition, uh, she has a problem with extreme short-sightedness, very, very bad short-sightedness, have, has trouble seeing. Um, and so because of that, uh, she, uh, she has Down syndrome and she's short-sighted and eats a bit slowly. So Maha helped her feed her the food that she had brought with her. Truly the sweetest thing to see, humanity. And we adults could learn a big lesson if we just take a moment to take a look at how kids treat other kids. And that is a damned good example of it. Share that story out. The link is in our show notes. Just right-click on it, copy the link, and post it on your Facebook page or your Twitter account or wherever you want to, but it's a, it's a great feel good story. And, uh, like I said, such a good lesson to be learned for, for us adult and kind of people on how we can, uh, we can learn to treat others the right way. Wow. I love these feel good stories. I really do. There's so much bad news and crap going on in the world today that, uh, those kind of stories, we need them. Coffee break. Okay, 
Uh, we're going to move over to our book here in just a second. Uh, before we do that, though, we will remind you once again, we want to thank our brand new sponsor, BarkBox.com. It's a great way to get your fur kids some wonderful treats and toys every month in a subscription service. The link is in our show notes. It's the top link down there tonight. Click on it. I'm sorry, folks, in Malaysia and other parts of the world, they do not deliver internationally. They're based in the U.S. I believe they deliver to Canada and some of the U.S. territories. But that's kind of, at the moment, the limit. As soon as they get international delivery, I will let you know immediately because I know a lot of my friends are going to want to sign up for this uh, BarkBox thing. Check it out. It's a great way to get your, your fur kids some tasty, healthy treats. You check out these ingredients. There's like three or four ingredients in every of their treats. That's it. It's all natural stuff. And of course, amazing toys designed specifically. And by the way, sizes too. You can pick whether your dog is small, medium, or large, and they will adjust your box according to the size of your dog. Bark Box. Check out the link in our uh, in our show notes tonight and uh, thanks BarkBox for sponsoring part of our show all right are you ready for some sherlock holmes we're beginning a new chapter i checked i told you i don't read ahead right i don't know what's going on until i read it and you hear it live i thought we only had one more chapter we have two so it's going to be a little while longer that we're here with the with good old sherlock and dr watson but that's okay because these adventures are fascinating and it's uh, adventure number 12 if i'm not mistaken the adventure of the barrel coronet holmes said i as i stood one morning in our bow windowed looking down the street here is a madman coming along it seems rather sad that his relatives should allow him to come out alone my friend rose lazily from his armchair and stood with his hands in his pocket in his dressing gown, looking over my shoulder. It was a bright, crisp February morning, and the snow of the day before still lay deep upon the ground, shimmering brightly in the wintry sun. Down the center of ba Baker Street, it had been plowed into a brown, crumbly band by the traffic, but at either side, on the heaped-up edges of the footpaths, it lay as still white as when it fell. The grey pavement had been cleaned and scraped, but was still dangerously slippery, so that there were few passengers than usual. Indeed, from the direction of the Metropolitan Station, no one was coming save the single gentleman who eccentric conduct had drawn my attention. He was a man of about fifty, portly, imposing, with a massive, strongly marked face and a commanding figure. He was dressed in a somber yet rich style in a black frock coat, shining hat, neat brown gaiters, and well-cut pearl-gray trousers. Yet his actions were absurd in contrast to the dignity of his dress and features, for he was running hard and occasionally little springs, such as a weary man gives who is accustomed to set any tax upon his legs. As he ran, he jerked his hands up and down, waggled his head, and writhed his face into the most extraordinary contortions. What on earth can be the matter with him, I asked. He's looking up at the numbers of the houses. Oh, I believe he's coming here, said Holmes, rubbing his hands. Here? 
Yes, I, I rather think he's coming to consult me professionally. I think that I've recognized the symptoms. Ha! Huh. Did I not tell you? And as he spoke, the man, puffing and blowing, rushed at our door, pulled at our bell until the whole house resounded with the clanging. A few moments later, he was in our room, still puffing, still gesticulating, but with so fixed a look of grief and despair in his eyes that our smiles were turned into an instant of horror and pity. For a while, he couldn't get his words out, but swayed his body, plucked at his hair like one who's been driven to the extreme limits of his reason. And then, suddenly, springing to his feet, he beat his head against the wall with such force that we both rushed upon him and tore him away to the center of the room. Sherlock Holmes pushed him down into the easy chair and, sitting beside him, patted his head, chatted with him in the easy, soothing tones which he knew so well how to employ. "'You've come to me to tell me your story, have you not?' said he. "'You're fatigued with your haste. Pray, wait till you've recovered yourself, and then I shall be most happy to look into any little problem which you may submit to me. Well, the man sat for a minute or two, or more, with a heaving chest, fighting against his emotion, and then he passed his handkerchief over his brow, set his lips tight, and turned his face towards us. No doubt you think me mad, said he. I see that you've had some great trouble, responded Holmes. God knows I have. A trouble which is enough to unseat any reason. So sudden and so terrible it is. Public disgrace I might have faced, although I'm a man whose character has never yet borne a stain. Private affliction also is the lot of every man, but the two coming together and in so frightful a form been enough to shake my very soul. Besides, it is not I alone. The very noblest in the land may suffer, unless some way can be found out of this horrible affair. Pray, compose yourself, sir, said Holmes. Let me have a clear account of who you are and what it is that has befallen you. My name, answered our visitor, is probably familiar to your ears. I am Alexander Holder, the banking firm of Holder and Stevenson of Threadneedle Street. The name was indeed very well known to us, belonging to the senior partner in the second largest private banking concern in the City of London. What could have happened then to bring one of the foremost citizens of London to this most pitiful pass? We waited until, curiously, until another effort he braced himself to tell his story. I feel that time is of value, said he. That's why I hastened here when the police inspector suggested I should secure your cooperation. I came to Baker Street by the underground and hurried from there on foot, for the cabs go slowly through the snow. That's why I was so out of breath, for I'm a man who takes very little exercise. I can feel better now, and I'll put the facts before you as shortly, and yet as clearly, 
as I can. It is, of course, well known to you that in a successful banking business, as much depends on our being able to find remunerative investments for our funds as upon our increasing connection and the number of our depositors. One of the most lucrative means of laying out money is in the shape of loans, where the security is unimpeachable. We've done a good deal in this direction during the last few years, and there are many noble families to whom we have advanced large sums upon the security of their pictures, libraries, or plate. Well, yesterday morning, I was seated in my office at the bank when a card was brought in to me by one of the clerks. I started when I saw the name, for it was that of none other than well, perhaps even to you, I'd better say no more than that. It uh, was a name which is a household word all over the earth. One of the highest, noblest, most exalted names in England. I was overwhelmed by the honor and attempted when he entered to say so. But he plunged at once into business with the air of a man who wishes to hurry quickly through a disagreeable task. Mr. Holder, said he, I've informed you that you are in the habit of advancing money. Uh, the firm do so when the security is good, I answered. It is absolutely essential to me, said he, that I should have fifty thousand pounds at once. I could, of course, borrow so trifling a sum ten times over from my friends, but I much prefer to make it a matter of business, to carry out that business myself. In my position, you can readily understand that it's unwise to place oneself under obligations. For how long, may I ask, do you want this sum? I asked. Next Monday, I have a large sum due to me. I shall then most certainly repay you what advance and whatever interest you think it's right to charge. But it's very essential to me that the money should be paid at once. Well, I should be happy to advance it without further parley from my own private purse, said I, were it not that the strain would be rather more than it could bear. If, on the other hand, I'm to do it in the name of the firm— and in justice to my partner, I must insist that, even in your case, every business-like precaution should be taken. I should much prefer to have it so, said he, raising up a square black Morocco case, which he'd laid beside the chair. You've doubtlessly heard of the barrel coronet? One of the most precious public possessions of the Empire, said I. Precisely. He opened the case, and there, embedded in soft, flesh-colored velvet, lay the magnificent piece of jewelry which he had named. There are thirty-nine enormous barrels, said he, and the price of the gold chasing is incalculable. The lowest estimate would put the worth of the coronet at double the sum which I've asked. I am prepared to leave it with you as my security. I took the precious case into my hands, looked in some perplexity from it to my illustrious client. You doubt its value? he asked. Oh, 
Not at all, not at all. I, I only doubt the property of my leaving it. You may set your mind to rest about that. I should not dream of doing so were it not absolutely certain that I should be able in four days to reclaim it. It is a pure matter of form. Is the security sufficient? Ample. You understand, Mr. Holder, that I am giving you a strong proof of the confidence which I have in you. Founded upon all I have heard of you, I rely upon you not only to be discreet and refrain from all gossip upon the matter, but above all to preserve this coronet with every possible precaution, because I need not say that a great public scandal would be caused if any harm were to befall it. Any injury to it would be almost as serious as its complete loss, for there are no barrels in the world to match these, and it would be impossible to replace them. I leave it with you, however, with every confidence, and I shall call for it in person on Monday morning. Well, seeing my client was anxious to leave, I said no more. But calling for my cashier, I ordered him to pay over fifty one-thousand-pound notes. When I was alone once more, however, with the precious case lying upon the table in front of me, I could not but think with some misgivings of the immense responsibility which it entailed upon me. There could be no doubt that as it was a national possession— a horrible scandal would ensue if any misinformation should occur to it. I already regretted having ever consented to take charge of it. However, it was too late to alter the matter now, so I locked it up in my private safe and turned once more to my work. When evening came, I felt it would be an imprudence to leave so precious a thing in the office behind me. Bankers' safes have been forced before now, and why should not mine be? If so, how terrible would be the position in which I should find myself? I determined, therefore, that for the next few days I would always carry the case backward and forward with me, so that it might never be out of my reach. With this intention, I called a cab and drove out to my house at Streatham carrying the jewel with me. I did not breathe freely until I'd taken it upstairs and locked it in the bureau of my dressing room. And now, a word as to my household, Mr. Holmes, for I wish you to thoroughly understand the situation. My groom and my page sleep out of the house, may be set aside altogether. I have three maidservants who've been with me a number of years and whose absolute reliability is quite above suspicion. Another, Lucy Parr, the second waiting maid, has only been in my service a few months. She came with an excellent character, however, and has always given me satisfaction. She's a very pretty girl, has attracted admirers who've occasionally hung around the place. That's the only drawback which we've found to her, but... We believe her to be a thoroughly good girl in every way. So much for the servants. My family itself is so small that it won't take me long to describe it. I'm a widower. I have an only son, Arthur. It's been a disappointment to be, Mr. Holmes, a, a grievous disappointment. 
I've no doubt that I am myself to blame. People tell me I've spoiled him. Very likely I have. When my dear wife died, I felt he was all I had to love. I could not bear to see the smile fade even for a moment from his face. I've never denied him a wish. Perhaps it would have been better for both of us had I been sterner, but I meant it for the best. It was naturally my intention that he should succeed me in the business, but he wasn't a business turn. He was wild, wayward, and, to speak the truth, I couldn't trust him in the handling of large sums of money. When he was young, he became a member of an aristocratic club. There, having charming manners, he was soon the intimate of a number of men with long purses and expensive habits. He learned to play heavily at cards and to squander money on the turf, until he had again and again come to me and implored me to give him an advance upon his allowance, that he might settle his debts of honor. He tried more than once to break away from the dangerous company he was keeping, but each time the influence of his friend Sir George Burnwell was enough to draw him back again. And indeed I couldn't wonder that such a man as Sir George Burnwell should gain an influence over him, for he's frequently brought him to my house, and I found myself that I could hardly resist the fascination of his manner. He's older than Arthur, a man of the world to his fingertips, one who's been everywhere, seen everything, a brilliant talker, a man of great personal beauty. Yet, when I think of him in cold blood, far away from the glamour of his presence, I am convinced that his cynical speech and the look which I've caught in his eyes, that he's one who could be deeply distrusted. So I think, and so too thinks my little Mary, who has a woman's quick insight into character. And now, there's only she to be described. She's my niece. But when my brother died five years ago and left her alone in the world, I adopted her, and have looked upon her ever since as my daughter. She is a sunbeam in my house, sweet, loving, beautiful, a wonderful manager and housekeeper, and yet as tender and quiet and gentle as a woman could be. She's my right hand. I do not know what I could do without her. In only one matter has she ever gone against my wishes. Twice my boy has asked her to marry him, for he loves her devotedly. But each time she's refused him, I think that if anyone could have drawn him into the right path, it would have been she, and that his marriage might have changed his whole life. But now, alas, it's too late. Forever too late. Now, Mr. Holmes, you know the people who live under my roof, and I shall continue with my miserable story. And we will continue with this miserable story <laughs> coming up on our next stream on Saturday night in the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Richard Wyman. Hey, Captain J. <laughs> yeah.
Yeah. All right. Good to see you, Richard. Thanks for popping in. Be sure to give us a like and a follow. Uh, to our podcast listeners, thanks so much. If you'd like, you can check us out. We are The audio of this show is a podcast, and you can find us on all the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, uh, Radio Public, Stitcher. We're on all of them. Uh, just search for The Jay Sheldon Show. Click like and subscribe and follow, and uh, we appreciate that. All right. I will see you again on Saturday night. This is The Jay Sheldon Show. Good night, everybody. <laughs>